Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the clouds as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel, where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Altitude. As always, I'm your host, Woody Woodworth. We have a great show today. We are going to talk about one of my favorite topics in cloud, which is cloud backbone and global WAN and LAN connectivity. And here to help me with that is one of our big-time experts in this field. He is a Director of Solution Management at Aviatrix, Tom Davis. Tom, so nice to have you. Thanks for coming. And thanks for having me, Woody. I'm excited to uh, to have this conversation with you. Absolutely. It's 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 a great conversation. There's so much going on. Um, as, you know, is kind of a staple on the show, I love to back up a little bit before jumping right into the tech and talk about the people because, uh, you know, until Skynet wins, I still argue that good technology is really all about good people. Uh, So the human story appeals and uh, you have a really cool, fascinating background and I'd I'd like to talk a little bit about that. First, uh, we both live in Pacific Northwest, you being a native, which is great. Um, Cool part of the country to, to hail from. A second, you do have a background, of course, in in enterprise traditional networking, very much kind of on the Cisco side. And third, you have a military background. So first of all, thank you for your service. Thanks for helping to keep our country and family safe. And I I mean that from the heart. But um, talk to me a little bit about how your military background led you into technology and what kind of advantages you think you got from uh, from that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so uh, obviously... Um, you know, there's a lot that, that, that one can take from their, their, their time in the military and, and kind of apply those, those principles to other things in life. And I think for me in particular, um, I was not in a technology, uh, in the army, it's called an MOS, which is kind of your job in the, in the army. Um, I was not in a technology job. You know, I, I didn't know what Cisco was. I didn't know what, um, networking was. I, it, 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 I knew what computers were. Uh, they were just starting to kind of get out into laptops and that sort of thing. But, this was from like 2000 to 2005, somewhere in that kind of time frame. And, uh, uh, but I think, you know, one of the things I'll say is when I got out of the military in 2005, uh, that's a pretty humbling experience uh, for, for a lot of people, right? I applied for a lot of positions in a lot, in a lot of different industries um, and, and, and heard no um, probably, uh, I don't know, 10 to 20 times, right? You know, you're not a good fit for this role. You know, for me, the bridge that I used to kind of go into the, the, into the civilian workforce was, you know, to, you know, kind of go into contracting, right? So I was still kind of working with the military, but I was a civilian. And, and you know, and, and you know, through that position, uh, I spent that for about a year just packing boxes and shipping boxes of, of different things to different places. Well, one of the things I was shipping was a Cisco switch and a Cisco router. Uh, and they were they were ruggedized for the military. They were going to these, these different locations. And I looked at it and I, I said, I, I don't know what Cisco is, but I, I started looking into it. And, and some of the technicians I was working with said, you know, this is this is what these things do and kind of gave me kind of a high level understanding of what they do. And and uh, they said, hey, you know, Tom, you, you can get a five hundred dollar bonus if you go get this thing called a CCNA. Right. This this certification. And uh, I said, man, five hundred bucks. Uh, I'm in. Right. And and for me, that that set me down a path of, of packet tracer, 
um, you know, going to technical colleges to, to understand, you know, what networking is. And um, the first time I took the CCNA, I did not pass, um, but I got really close. And, and, I, and I knew at that moment that this is what I, this is what I need to be doing. Uh, it just felt right. It just felt like something I could really wrap my mind around and, and get excited about. And, and, uh, so I passed the second time, but, and, and by the way, I never got that $500 bonus. So just, just to, just to kind of call that out. Um, but, but that, that did trigger a series of events for me that, you know, that took me into, you know, Camp Pendleton supporting Marine Corps doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, mil military specific IPv6 you know, technology uh, testing with the Marine Corps, um, which then led me to supporting the Air Force. So supporting all the Air Force bases in the U.S. with with worldwide technology um, do it, and, and really focus on software-defined networking in that role. As I was in those SDN conversations, it, it, a lot of my conversations were kind of taking me into the cloud. And so ultimately, you know, I, I recognized that SDN was going to get me, you know, the last uh, seven or eight years of my career, but the cloud was going to get me the rest of my career. But one, one other thing I'll say, Woody, just to kind of answer your question, one other thing from a principal perspective is some of the principles that were instilled in me in terms of, um, you know, just always trying to be the best and, and, and that team player mentality and, and all the things that the military kind of instills in you over a period of time and some, some things through, through, through combat scenarios, et cetera, um, have definitely shaped me into who I am, uh, not only at Aviatrix, but, but, but what I was like at WWT as well. Yeah, the discipline is really important, right? And uh, military, I think, is one fantastic, important way to get that sense of teamwork, of discipline, of rabid self-reliability. And I think, it, you know, you can get to those qualities and skills through a bunch of different life experiences. And most of the previous guests I've had on the show, and I suspect guests of the future, I've noticed they all come from a very eclectic background, which is something I love about IT. Um, because it's still, to me, maybe I'm a little starry-eyed about this, but one of those fields where you can um, kind of become a self-made person still. Yeah, for sure. I think I think one of the things I learned as I went to go get my CCIE route switch, it, it wasn't about the certification. It was about the journey to, to try and take the actual certification. And so, you know, having that mentality that you're going to be a subject matter expert on a given topic that that is universal, uh, and and if I wanted to be a a baker, I, I would do the same thing. Yeah, let's focus more about that journey of um, building that framework and making that transition from a more traditional enterprise skill set on the WAN side into a cloud mine skill set. Going through that journey yourself, right? As many of uh, your customers are still doing so or in the process. So so you've you've walked a mile or so in their shoes, and you know you can uh, help relate to them when you bring them along for this journey uh, to, to cloud and to help them develop their skill sets, their minds, their networks, et cetera. Um, what would it be like for someone who's a traditional way in, you know, traffic or routing expert to try to approach cloud for the first time? Uh, is it frustrating? Is it scary? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, for, for me in particular, um, you know, as I was at, at WWT and having a lot of SD-WAN, uh, you know, conversations with customers and, and they would ask me, well, this is great. How does this work in AWS? Uh, and, and then, and then I would be, okay, let me, let me, let me understand a little bit more about what you're doing. And then, and then it was really about an IPsec tunnel to that device. Right. And, and that was kind of my, my, you know, my response to that. And, and then, you know, I'd have another conversation, like, well, how does this different, 
you know, when I, when I connect into my environment in Google. And I think the, the net of it is, is this was a repetitive question. And you, uh, you go back to that humility. Ultimately, what, what, what that triggers is you need to go off on your own time and, and start to become knowledgeable in that, in that given area. This was back in 2019, you know, spending a lot of hours on, on different platforms to learn cloud. Which one's the leader? As I entered into the cloud, I think for me, again, What's the leader? AWS was the leader in 2019. They're still the leader today. Okay, I'm going to start with my primary focus to go and understand AWS. You go to Google and you say AWS networking, right? And it takes you into this world of uh, VPCs and route tables and availability zones and all this different terminology uh, that was completely foreign to me. Uh, in fact, you know, I often say this when I talk with customers, you know, when I sold SD-WAN and a lot of people who sold SD-WAN, they drew a cloud. It said INET. They drew a cloud that said MPLS. And, and the reason they drew clouds is it's a great simplification as to what's actually happening in that cloud. And so what, what, what I envisioned um, in 2019 was your SD-WAN environment would connect to the cloud, right? And that's all I knew, right? It's because I didn't know what was actually inside of that environment. And I think a lot of the traditional SD-WAN vendors that are out there today still don't have a knowledge as to what goes on inside of that cloud. And so they still kind of refer to it as a cloud. Um, but for me, in terms of learning it, I wanted to understand what was in that cloud and specifically starting with AWS and, and going out and, and, and pursuing certifications in AWS, again, that same framework, um, and, and, and ultimately then, and then going off and saying, uh, you know, how is Azure different than that? Now that you have a level, uh, like a foundation in the cloud, now it's really about understanding how you can compare and contrast the different cloud providers that are out there to quickly understand the Delta as opposed to starting over and over and over again. So we'll talk about multi-cloud in a minute. And you hit upon a really important point, which is more and more IT pros today and networking security pros are having to learn multiple clouds. We'll get to that topic, but I want to focus a little bit more now on just hybridity. I love your earlier example of just SD-WAN just connecting to the cloud and it's very hand wavy and that's it, we're done. Yay, we connected to the cloud and people are like, okay, what's next? And we know that it's not at all what's next because these networks are living creatures, right? They're going to grow. They're going to change. They're going to respond to dynamic um, factors in the cloud that many IT teams don't understand or predict. So what's happening now in hybrid? Um, I guess to, to my earlier point, it's about four or five years long. Uh, you know, so some businesses have been in the hybrid business now for half a decade. Is it working? Is it not working? Um, are people happy with this outcome or are they looking for ways to change it? Are they saying, man, you know, this this just isn't working the way I anticipated. I, I need some different solution. Yeah, I mean, it's a great it's a great question, Woody. I, I think it is working. Um, you know, I, 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 I talk with a hundred hundreds of, of, of different um, prospects and customers globally. Um, and and what I found is a strong majority still rely on a hybrid cloud architecture, right? They they believe that certain applications can't move to the cloud. They also believe, um, you know, they've moved an application to the cloud and determined that they don't need the cloud uh, capabilities for, for, for said application, so they move it back. It, it's actually better, it's more efficient, it's, 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 you know, cheaper, whatever the reasoning is. And so I think hybrid cloud architectures are going to be something that will continue to be the majority of architectures for, for most Fortune 500s, for sure. Um, but on the flip side to that, I do think that there are some out there who have made the, 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 the determination at the executive level that we will exit the data center by said date, right? And, 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 and so there's some pretty key initiatives to, 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 to move those applications out of the data center 
and into a cloud that they so choose that you know allows that application to run fast. But clearly it can't all be sunshine and roses, right? So hybrid's here to stay. By large, it's working. By large, it's stable. But there's there has to be challenges, I'm sure, right? Because there's still a lot of growth and innovation in the connectivity world. I mean, new products and services and, and companies are springing up all over the place. That speaks to the fact that there's a market that's still seeking a solution or multiple solutions. So um, in your experience, what are some of the challenges with hybridity today? Uh, what are some things customers still express as pain points? Because, you know, for me, this show is about problem resolution, challenge opportunity, and I like to take the the challenge piece first. So uh, I, I suspect everything is not perfect still. Yeah, no, I think I think what you're describing is in some cases uh, maturity, right, it is, is, is really the best word to describe it. What we like to see and, and kind of map folks to is, is kind of the five phases cloud adoption, right? And phase phase one, the way we kind of like to describe it is, you know, someone has made a decision that we need to move our applications to the cloud. And somebody's made that business decision. And this is most this is most organizations, uh, I would say. Um, and, and so what they do is they, 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 they put a couple guys and they say, Hey, go, go identify, you know, this cloud world and bring it back to me with, with, with what you find out. Right. So they go swipe their credit cards. They, they start to spin up some, some EC2 instances and, and, and environments and start to do some basic testing, you know, and, and then they report back to the business with, with kind of their findings. Um, cloud 2.0 is they say, Hey, a, a couple more people go off and I want you to go do AWS. I want you to study uh, Azure, you to, you to go study Google or another cloud and then come back and, and, and start again, start to further my understanding of, of, of how the cloud is going to help our business, but also just it's, a, it's an education validation thing. And so in phase three, they say, okay, now we understand the cloud. Um, we understand what, what, you know, how the cloud is gonna help our business. We need to connect the cloud to our corporate architecture, right? And this is typically the first time the traditional networking architects, networking experts will have pulled, been pulled into a conversation, right? You know, there's, there's a meeting at four o'clock, uh, it's called connecting to AWS and, um, Tom, we need you in that meeting. I said, you know, okay, I guess I got to go to this meeting. And then I sit down and they say, Tom, we need to connect our AWS environment to the corporate, you know, router that's sitting in the data center to provide a private circuit in and out of our, our, our cloud environment. And. At that point, the network engineer and network architect has doesn't have to know what he's connecting, he or she is connecting that environment to. He just needs to know that, okay, I guess I got to connect this to this and, and build a, a, you know, a network tunnel or whatever and build that connection. Um, again, that's their first exposure to the cloud. If only were that simple though, right? That's the thing. It was like, oh, just make these two things together. I got to draw this little line on a whiteboard there. We're done. You just go do that in your tool set. But uh, that's not how it always plays out, right? Yeah, no, and and for me, in my experience, this was this was definitely my first, um, you know, kind of opportunity to to kind of learn some of the nuances and differences associated with how how cloud networking is, and and you know, in that in that phase three or that stage three or whatever you want to call it, in terms of that maturity model, you know, they may say we want to connect to AWS and Azure. And then, you know, you start to get, you know, overwhelmed, quite honestly, because of how different the two clouds are in terms of what that connection process looks like and, 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 and starting to look, th look at things like, well, wait a minute, what IP space did you use up there in the cloud? Wait a minute, that, that overlaps with our campus. What are you, what are you doing? Right. And, and start, that's where, that's where, you know, that, that maturity kind of comes into play because again, the, 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 you know, the architects that were involved in one and two phase one and two you know, don't have the networking expertise that your traditional network uh, architects have. And so when they built this this cloud environment, 
they didn't take into account things that, that most network engineers think about at the beginning when, when, when they're deploying. And so when you when we start getting into later phases of, of, of one's cloud maturity, um, that's when we start de dealing with operational complexities and, and lack of visibility, lack of controls, variances between the two clouds or, or more potentially. So now we're ready for multi-cloud, the stage is set. Uh, clearly, I would say to your point, V1, V2, enterprises weren't seriously considering cloud backbone yet. They were still very much comfortable with MPLS. SD-WAN maybe in V2 starts to get to be a viable option. You know, hey, use the internet as such through an SD-WAN mesh as an alternative to MPLS. In my experience, it was never the primary uh, production network or big kahuna network. SD-WAN was kind of like either the skunkworks thing or a backup network or good for, for branches and remote things. But still, the MPLS backbone was where all the critical private workflows, you know, deep uh, business application workflows would would run over. Um, and then, yeah, you bring it in via Express Route, Direct Connect, Cloud Connect, or whatever these terms are. Um, Multi-cloud, I think, changes all of that, right? Because the cloud networks are now some of the largest, if not the largest private networks in the world across the three or four major clouds. And then if you're in multiple clouds or you're thinking about that, it's obviously not too hard of a leap to say, wait a minute, I can connect to these cloud networks. I can use special technology or um, some kind of a platform to essentially create an MPLS-like architecture end-to-end -end and transit the globe, maybe at, at a very smaller cost perspective than, than MPLS would, uh, would provide for me. So that has to be attractive. And, however, I will say... I bet that there are hidden traps waiting for customers that want that kind of outcome, right? Like it looks great on paper, but when you go to practice, there have got to be some complications with that. So I guess the real question is, um, how is this multi-cloud opportunity and challenge really changing the approach to backbone design? It's a fantastic kind of discussion. I think I think ultimately when, when and we could take this in a lot of different directions, but I think uh, putting multi-cloud off to the side for a moment, you know, one of the things, even if you're in a single cloud, you know, let's say for example, you're in seven AWS regions, um, you know, when we go back to that phase three of that maturity model, again, you're connecting your AWS, you know, region to your data center. And then what's gonna happen when you need to go from, you know, for, for database replication or, uh, you know, uh, HA purposes or uh, disaster recovery purposes, all different kinds of reasons do this. But ultimately, when you're trying to go from region A to region region B, what are you doing? You're traversing your your private circuits, your direct connects, and then you're writing that MPLS backbone uh, for interregion, right? And 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 we call that a stovepipe architecture. I think this is this is the industry term. This is not this is not an aviator's term. Um, but but the net of it is is what is that what does that entail? Well, as you need more and more data to go between your two regions, that means more direct connect circuits to, to allow that capacity out of the cloud. That means bigger MPLS circuits for the inter-region in order to handle your, your cloud uh, traffic. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of, of costs, implications associated with that stovepipe architecture. And so one of the things that, that, that we think about right off the bat is leveraging, you know, for example, an AWS infrastructure for, you know, for inter-region uh, traffic and keep it off of your MPLS and start to leverage the uh, the infrastructure that, that you spoke about. Um, you know that's that's instant value, right? That's that's a reduction of costs in terms of everything I just mentioned, but also things like you know reduce latency, right? So you're not traversing multiple hops uh, in order to, to 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 reach a destination. You're actually staying in the cloud provider backbone 
reduce latency, better application experience, reduce cost, increase visibility. You're not traversing multiple different vendors in order for your packets to reach point A to point B. There's a lot of different things that kind of come from that stovepipe architecture, even in a single cloud. So one of the things that that kind of uh, increases the the kind of the things I just mentioned in terms of cost, lack of visibility, operational complexity, um, you know, increased latency, all these things is multi-cloud, right? Especially when you start looking at, um, you know, an application that's leveraging a front end over here and a back end over there, or a, a past service of, of AWS is consumed by an application in Google, you start to, th that's what's happening, right? That those, these things are actually being, um, you know, seen in the industry today. And so latency between clouds is very important, but also making sure that we're taking the fastest path, providing that visibility, reducing the costs associated with that connection as well. And, and again, back to where we could take a lot of different angles on this conversation, going back to why SD-WAN was ever, one of the reasons SD-WAN was ever built was to reduce the cost of MPLS, right? And put more dependency on an internet circuit, right? It's kind of that same type of mindset where we could actually reduce our MPLS cost even further by leveraging an agreement with a cloud provider as our new backbone. All right. So let's compare and contrast a customer um, journey through cloud backbone using a couple different things. And you could comment on the success rate of this. There are cloud native services that will do this to some degree. It's different, of course, as one expects between different clouds. But I think, you know, the CSPs are definitely waking up and realizing Azure, in this case, I think with Virtual WAN being one of the first, hey, there's a there there. This could be a real business model for for our customers. This could make a, a big improvement and, and be something to change the market. Um, so we have customers that are exploring these kinds of tools and ecosystems for cloud backbone. Um, when they get into multi-cloud, I'm curious as to how that would work for them insofar as now they have multiple cloud native backbone services that they have to juggle in concert. That's probably not a perfect arrangement. There's another type of customer that might want to say, I just want to use an SD-WAN or SD-WAN-like device in all of my clouds and just treat these cloud networks kind of like the internet. And then there's a third approach, of course, which I'm sure you're anxious to talk about, which is multi-cloud networking software. So comparing and contrasting these three approaches, um, what do you think is the most successful? You know, how do you see customers doing it today versus how are they thinking about it tomorrow? Maybe a better way to say that. Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing to that question, Woody, is I've seen all four different combinations, right? I think, you know, starting with the stovepipe architecture and, and, and basically going between clouds, you're going down to your data center uh, and then back up, right? Um, I've also seen, um, you know, worked with a customer who was using an SD-WAN um, architecture for as their transit architecture inside of AWS and inside of Azure and, and inter-cloud connectivity. Um, I've also seen another customer who used, you know, TGW for inter-region and AWS and VWAN as, as their as their backbone in Azure. Um, and, and then obviously Aviatrix, right? So I've seen kind of all four of those. So I, I definitely have quite a bit of experience in, in working through all four of those. Um, you know, so, so you know, I think, I think the net of it is, is, um, you know, starting with native, right? I think I think a lot of organizations, you know, uh, have a philosophy that they should embrace native, right? And and I think I think that, um, you know, I'm not I'm not here to say whether or not that's a good philosophy or or not. I think what I've seen through my experience is is having an architecture built with native and 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 having a multi-cloud uh, architecture in for my organization 
um, has 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 come with a lot of, of of challenges and complexities and costs that that ultimately have swayed many organizations away from that model. But I would say, kind of going back to your question, um, there's there's extreme differences across those four different um, uh, architectures. And you know what I would say is, stovepipe architecture is proven to be a, a, a kind of a stop in an underlying maturity of an organization. They, they At some point, they realize that they can't do this anymore. They can't just treat the cloud as an extension of their data center, right? And, and that has become, uh, you know, an industry trend, I would say back in 2019, somewhere around there, 2020, that was a trend. And and so I think what, what, industry, what organizations are seeing now through maturity is that the cloud needs its own needs to be recognized as its own domain. It's not an extension of your data center. It is its own domain that in, in each domain, what do we do? We build a backbone, right? And so in the campus, we have a backbone. In the data center, we have a backbone. SD-WAN, we have a backbone. So having these different domains, all each domain having their own backbone allows the application traffic to stay as close to the application as it possibly can and 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 do so in a way with a consistent high-speed freeway essentially between the two elements of a backbone. So I think stovepipe, we've, we've learned that it's going to, it, it was as a moment in time, but it's not going to last. So um, one thing I'll say, and, and, I, and I, I'm not here to pick on any SD-WAN vendor in particular, but what I would say in terms of SD-WAN in the cloud, um, quite simply put, they weren't designed to be there, right? That, and, and, and I think the net of it is, is if you, if you take, if you take any of the top SD-WAN vendors and you place them in the cloud, their software doesn't know that it's running in the cloud, right? And so, so th that has inherent limitations in, in terms of a, in terms of performance and and uh, you know uh, bugginess and, and and certain things. And I think that's the disadvantage that that SD WAN vendors have uh, against Aviatrix. Aviatrix was designed to be in the cloud, and I think that's that's a that's a very subtle difference. Um, you know, again, going back to my on-prem days, I had customers that say, "I really want this Nexus switch in my campus," and I said. No, you don't. You don't want to do that. Why? Why is it? Why, what do you mean? Why? Do, the Nexus switch was not designed to be there. It was designed to be a high-performing data center switch, right? It doesn't have PoE. It doesn't have wireless functionality. It doesn't have um, a lot of things that you need in the campus. And so, again, you you want to put um, platforms where they were intended to be. And I think that's 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 one of the key takeaways for me. As I love to do on this show, we've definitely talked about challenges and complexity. Again, the show is all about cloud heroes making the difference, right? Turning lemons into lemonade, uh, turning challenges into opportunities. Talk to me about some of the customers you've worked with. And I know you've worked with some very big, prominent customers through the course of your career, um, both before Aviatrix and now at Aviatrix, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 customers. Talk to me about how their approach to cloud backbone with multi-cloud networking software or Aviatrix has been an important solution for them, right? What does it do for them? Uh, why why would they stick with it as opposed to some other platform? I think a couple things. You know, one, we're you know we are a fantastic bridge for network experts to get into the cloud world, right? I think that's that's the fundamental thing I'm seeing in in a lot of of the customer profiles that you mentioned, Woody. Um, you know, again, kind of going back to what what we'll call phase four of that maturity model is. There's been this this recognition that I'm a cloud architect. I have this multi-cloud environment. Um, cloud networking is not my responsibility. Developing applications to the best of my ability is my responsibility. And and so there's this hands up uh, that's happening in the industry right now where they say, you know, hey, network expert, come here. 
I want you guys to own this. And so one of the things that Aviatrix has really helped is, is to be that bridge, right? To be uh, a platform that is an SDN controller platform that has an overlay that has the ability to have a consistent repeatable architecture in, in, in the different clouds that the, that the organization is in, but give you things like, you know, BGP capabilities and, and the things that are, are, are kind of like a comfort blanket to a lot of network experts that are out there and give you things like advanced overlapping IP support capabilities and, and all of these advanced, um, you know, uh, networking and traffic engineering and functionality that, that network experts uh, have come to love. So being a bridge, I would say, is one thing, Woody. I think that the, the other thing is, you know, learning cloud native is, as I as we kind of spoke about earlier, is, is, a, is a tall order, right? And so, you know, having uh, customers all of a sudden have to take ownership of the cloud and, and, and going to understand what a BPC is and what a TGW is and a BGW and all these different acronyms that are in the cloud world, again, is a tall order. And so what Aviatrix works with our, our, our customers with is, is, is helping them build a backbone, right? Again, recognizing that the cloud is a new domain, build a concrete backbone that gives your organization reduced latency, increased visibility, decreased costs in terms, in terms of traffic um, uh, moving around inside of the cloud environment. Um, and, and, and do so in such a way that is, is, uh, you know, a platform that network experts can rally around, you know, go out and get your ACE certification, right. To, to understand not only Aviatrix, but also, you know, having the industry only multi-cloud certification. Earlier in your response, you said something very interesting. And I want to revisit that. You said, you know, some of the IT managers or business lines of business, business leadership went to IT and said, here, you handle this now. This cloud is your network. You know, off you go. Um, is yeah, How is that working out? And why are they going to traditional IT people and saying, it's your network now, have fun, as opposed to hiring or training a separate group of people? I think ultimately it goes back to inside of your IT team, who do you trust on behalf of networking topics, right? You, you typically have um, some very senior network architects that know your architecture, that know your business, that know your, your, your team. Um, they've just been excluded, right? They've just been, they've just been you know, focused on the campus, focused on the data center, focused on the SD-WAN, whatever it is, and they've been purposely kept out of the cloud world. And, and so the interesting kind of moment in time that's happening in the industry right now is is now all of a sudden these guys are like, hey, wait a minute, you know how I was excluding you before? Um, you know, come here. I want you to take over all of this. And 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 ultimately what they're finding when they when they when they get handed that is, you know, in some cases it, it's it's just a mess, right? And and I think the, the net of it is is never the organization's intention to get into this mess. But it was just through that maturity and their journey and working directly with the CSPs and and then all of a sudden through MA or 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 you know application determination, now all of a sudden they're in multiple clouds. And so they have multiple architectures, they have multiple teams. And and so the network team looks at this and they say, you know, this what what am I how do I even begin, right? To 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 fix this, right? I think it's a it's a new world, um, you know, that that they're all of a sudden getting brought into. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, it's a little refreshing and making networking interesting again. And so for, for the traditional networking engineer, uh, this is another opportunity where all of a sudden they can, they can learn and they can, they can kind of walk into a new world and understand that all of the things they did on-prem 
will will play a big role in their success in the cloud. And I think going back to the principles that we talked about at the beginning of this call uh, or this discussion, I think that's that's one thing. Um, and so you got to have a fresh uh, perspective on on how networking should be done um, in the cloud. And you also have to take into account the application team or the DevOps team experience that they have today, right? And and, and we talked with customers a lot about this, right? Um, in the in the data center, they you know they they didn't have options, right? It's not like application teams would go off and and go out and buy their own network architecture that that allowed them to connect uh, their their servers together. They were they 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 connected into the fabric of the network and 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 they had really low latency uh, simplified connectivity in the cloud. They now have options, right? And so if the network team doesn't do this right, the the cloud teams will just will just build right around them. You know, they can use a lot of different ways to do that. And so it, when you so when you think about it in, in terms of you're in a position now as a network engineer, network expert, and all of a sudden you've been given the, the the keys to the cloud network, it's important that you take into account what is the application team's experience of how they consume cloud today and make sure that when you step into that um, into that uh, environment, that you don't do anything to disrupt that, right? You you if anything, you make it better. Right. Um, and I think that's that's got to be a mindset shift that a lot of network experts need to make in order to be successful in, in taking over the cloud architecture. Tom, I want to thank you. This has been a fantastic discussion. As always, I've learned a ton. It's very enlightening. Thank you for sharing both your professional stories and your personal stories. Uh, it's, it's a great interview. And I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Woody. It was it was a lot of fun. All right. Take care.